ladies and gentlemen out there in IoT land everywhere, within the sound of my voice, I am Ken Briota, your host here on Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Here on Real World IoT, we uh, dig into the meat of the industry, sort of shed the marketing veneer and and talk about real world issues and solutions that will help you uh, find more ways to be successful providers and companies in the IoT, do more successful implementations, and... uh, Find more success in your strategy discussion. My guest today, I'm very happy to have Marty Jefferson of Global Star in our uh, our second uh, Global Star episode. Uh, Marty, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ken. It's really a, a pleasure to have you. Thank you for uh, for joining me today. In case folks aren't familiar with you, I mean they've just recently heard a, a, a really great Global Star episode. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and and uh, what your background is? Sure, Ken. Uh, again, thanks for having me. Uh, again, my name is Marty Jefferson. I've been with uh, Global Star a little bit over 10 years now. Um, I manage the uh, the indirect or the value-added reseller channel uh, in the data market, uh, primarily in Canada, but with a little bit of a of a bleed over into the U.S. Um, I think I'm one of the more senior guys at, uh, at Global Star. I have a telecommunications background going all the way back to the early 90s, and uh, starting with you know the the infancy of terrestrial cellular, uh, moving into uh, into two-way radios uh, and ending up before my my time at Global Star a uh, position with uh, with Motorola with the uh, the mobile data side of the business running uh, the police fire ambulance public uh, public safety uh, data radio systems so yeah a little bit over 10 years uh, with Global Star it's been a great ride along the way and it's pretty exciting to be where we are today especially with some of the new products that we've got on the marketplace and, and sort of to see where the industry itself is going awesome uh, I don't know if you knew this but I uh, I also started out in two-way radios when I was uh, when I was just getting started I had the premium set of GI Joe walkie-talkies and the range mm-hmm. on those things was <laughs> I mean I could get all the way from one side of the house to the other side of the house and it was crystal clear so uh, yeah with, a, with about the seven foot antenna that you had to pull out the telescopic antenna right so, oh yeah, yeah that's perfect those perfect. things were great uh, um, <laughs> uh as as my listeners may have learned in the uh the other episode and if you haven't listened to that yet folks uh Go back and, and take a listen. You can listen to the two independently, but there was a really great discussion uh, of some of the the great satellite uh, work that Global Star has been doing and, and some of the advantages folks can find with uh, with that kind of connectivity. You and I were talking a little bit about some of the the last mile stuff that's that's so important that I don't think a lot of listeners consider when it comes to wireless. Uh, connectivity because traditionally as you know and as a lot of folks know uh, last mile is is a term that referred to you know wires and then fiber and and everything else and uh, what does last mile mean for for global star and for for wireless connectivity well the, in in general last mile uh, in the wireless connectivity uh, perspective is is, is portability um, you know, as as we we exist in the satellite world, is is traditionally thought to be you know the middle of nowhere. Um, but if you think about a terrestrial radio system or a terrestrial cellular system in in today's ecosystem, there's significant costs behind the scenes to building infrastructure. Um, there are RF properties that you have to worry about that that uh, the, to get coverage in particular regions, and it and it's very difficult to rapidly deploy something. Um, you know, particularly in the exploration side of uh, the oil and gas market, uh, people that push that last mile uh, 
beyond the normal envelope. And, and that's really where we see, uh, you know, significant traction in the, in the satellite world because, you know, we're already in the last mile. You know, we don't have to build any infrastructure to, to, to connect that last mile. Um, you know, so we're, so we're able for, for, to be rapidly deployed. Mm-hmm. Um, we are able to be, uh, you know, ubiquitous coverage. You'll hear that a lot. We use that a lot internally at Global Star. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's certainly, a, certainly a big industry buzzword. You know, to to be able to go everywhere and literally turn on your device um, and have connectivity. Sure. And that's really what last mile means for us. The uh, the your your last mile is vertical instead of horizontal. <laughs> yes, exactly. Where you know, I, it, it's funny you should mention that. I mean, I, I I talk to to prospects all the time, and they're like, you know, I don't quite understand satellite. Is that satellite TV and I said, you know, think of us as kind of a cellular system in the sky, right? Our towers are just significantly higher. So. <laughs> that's a, that's a, a good way to think about it. Now, um, the the crux of of what I want to dig into into with you here is sort of the the business outcomes piece of this discussion. You know, uh, all of our listeners, everybody out there in the IoT as uh, as the industry develops is is looking for the the next piece of their strategy that's going to give them better business outcomes. You know, it's going to increase revenue. Sure. It's going to make their operations more efficient. efficient. You know, uh, all the things that everybody's concerned with uh, when they're staring down the barrel of the fourth quarter. Um, of course. Of course. <laughs> you know, so, so I'd like to talk a little bit about why satellite connectivity specifically, but, I mean, we can, we can go beyond that into to other... Uh, avenues it really leads to advantage, and uh, how these decisions can affect business outcomes for her folks, especially considering the classic sort of objections to satellite that that people always have, and I'm sure you've heard a million times. Well, it's more expensive. Well, you know, what, uh, what about ubiquitous connectivity? What about latency? Things like that. And we talked a lot about that in the in the other the other call and, and how your sort of low orbit satellite cloud addresses things like latency and, and ubiquity and things. But um, can we talk a little bit about how, how business decisions are, are affected with a choice like satellite? Sure. Sure. So, so, I mean, we, we, uh, you know, being a complementary uh, technology to, you know, some of the embedded technology that's, that's in a lot of modern machinery nowadays, um, you know, we, we once once you start pushing the envelope from a coverage perspective, once you go in, you start going into areas that are, you know, very very sparsely populated, um, but may be rich with natural resources uh, or may have some other reason to be in that particular region. Um, you know, you lose you lose the connectivity and you lose the visibility to your assets um, that are that are in, in in the field. And when you're talking about some of these assets, you're talking about multi million dollar assets. Um, you know, and, and one of the biggest business drivers and one of the biggest business costs in heavy equipment, you know, and across all verticals, through the oil and gas market, through the transportation market, through the forestry market, um, one of your biggest costs is the cost to transport that heavy machinery into the middle of the workplace. So, you know, consider your workplace is, uh, you know, north of the, of the 60th parallel, um, and your your equipment is, uh, you know, in the northern U.S. Well, you've got to pay somebody to take it from point A to point B. Um, 
and having that visibility to where your assets are already deployed can can help you make better business decisions. There's no need to transport something a thousand miles away to your location if you've got a piece of that same machinery that is only 200 miles away and, it, and is coming to an end of life of a project or something like that. Not to you mention, know, so, not so to mention it, the, the, the sort of inherent model of a customer that you're working with already with a piece of machinery is more likely to do more business with you when the machinery is present or at least nearby than, than if they have to deal with something being far afield or an unknown of how long it would take. Well, we live we live in a we live in a market economy right now that people demand, you know, to be able to click a button and have it shipped overnight, right, and arrive at your door, right, and, and business is becoming that way as well. So, you know, you need to be able to make those those quick, effective business decisions to get, you know, to be that first, you know, to win the business, so to speak, you know, because there's always competitors out there, um, you know, and 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 I know a lot of my value added resellers that that we do business with. And a lot of the end users use the technology to to differentiate themselves between their competitors as well. You know, in, in a trailer tracking in a trailer tracking marketplace, let's say, you know, and you've got a trucking company that needs fifty trailers. Well, you know, they could call ten different people, but the person that picks up the phone and says, "I've got ten ten tra- I've got ten free trailers, and I can have them there within three hours." And in fact, Mister Customer. You know, click this link on your computer and you can watch them come down the road as they're coming towards you. So you know exactly real-time information where you're, when you're going to get your, your equipment. and make like those, a, those a Domino's for a, for a backhoe. <laughs> 100%. 100%. You know, it's, it's, it's a cutthroat marketplace out there. And, you know, and if you can differentiate yourself from, uh, from somebody else offering the, the same service with, with value-add and, and, and with the integration of technology whether it be satellite, whether it be terrestrial, whether it be other. Um, there are lots of different technologies that complement each other. Um, you know, it, it, it really goes different. And, and quite frankly, it, you know, from a business perspective, it keeps your margins up. You know, you, you are no longer, you're no longer fighting on price, you're fighting on value. And you're, and you're able to, uh, you know, perhaps charge a premium because of guaranteed delivery. Uh, well, charge a premium because of guaranteed availability. Yeah, I mean that's like that's that. a really interesting point because the the battle for price and that being your point of of differentiation really is a losing battle in the long run. I feel like it, it, yeah, the, we say that's a that's a race to the bottom. We yeah. always say that's a race to the bottom. So and you know, and ulti- I mean, ultimately sure. you'll cut your margin so skinny. You'll ultimately cut your margin so skinny that you're out of business. Well, yeah, so. and and I mean. As, for an end user, that might seem like a good thing, that they're raw mm-hmm. thing, but the sort of eventual consequence of that is also less service because you've got to find the room of in course. the margin somewhere. So I feel like mm-hmm. the the even if pr- the price battle doesn't go all the way to the bottom because the comp- competition becomes about who provides the service I need in the best way, they're still getting more value, and they're going to find new profit centers and new efficiencies, hopefully, if they chose the right partner, uh, that will offset whether or not there's an increase in cost. Does that make sense? Yes, it, it makes 100% sense, and it's, it's, it's been echoed uh, you know, most recently in the oil and gas market. 
<coughs> excuse me, when when oil was a you know above a hundred dollars a barrel, you know we used to say that the oil market was like picking gold from the street. You know, people didn't use any sort of efficiencies. People had equipment strewn all over the place. Um, people were making enormous salaries for uh, for you know relatively menial jobs, um, and it was literally a matter of I'll take whatever I can get and I'll pay whatever whatever price you're charging. Um, and the marketplace was literally like picking gold from the street. When oil collapsed, um, you know, below forty dollars a barrel, you know, I'm thankful that it's recovered to seventy. Mm-hmm. Um, but people started turning around and saying, "Well, wait a minute, we can't. We we, we need to do business differently." You know, and, and um, particularly the oil services business, you know, massive layoffs across the board and had to make different business decisions than before. than before. It wasn't a matter of, you know, not being able to staff. It was a matter of, you know, staffing minimally to, uh, to, to effectively run your business, you know, to keep, to keep operating, you know, and having the visibility and the connectivity to, you know, the, your, your primary assets in the field. You know, both from a maintenance perspective, from a from a theft recovery perspective, from a you know just an efficiency perspective. You know, whether whether the uh, the the equipment is being used or not. You know, is the engine running? Yes or no. Right. Is it accumulating yeah. hours on wear and tear on it? Yes or no. You know, that used to be in the old days done by people. People used to report that stuff. Sure. You know, making making large amounts of money. Right. And that, you know, to, 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 to use an IOT solution um, to give you that visibility to the machinery, you know, both location and, and, and sensors and, you know, efficiencies and even exceptions with alarms, you know, you, you, you can make better business decisions. You can be proactive, you know, in managing what you've got out there and making sure that it's making money all the time when it's deployed in the field. And that's, I mean, that's really the ball game is getting closer to that sort of zero downtime number. You know, when when everything is, is, when all the machines are working perfectly and you're not wasting time, you're, you're sort of going to hit the, the, the perfect proportion there and then the whole equation shifts, I think, and becomes about new profit centers. Oh, I mean, 100%. None, none of it's linear. You know, it all happens sort of at the same time. But I think once the, the hard focus gets there, because um, you never really hit 100% efficiency. Um, sure. But uh, um, the... You've always got to be striving for that, though, right? I mean, right. That's, that's where... That's where you know that that that's dollars that go straight to the bottom of line, right? Every one percent more efficient you can be is is literally money right to the bottom line. Of course. Um, um, and as as people look at sort of new profit centers, and we've already been touching on this a little bit, um, what are some out of the box things that you would expect or or are starting to think about? You know, because people do they think about well, you know. Uh, uh, maybe I can find new profit in the the service contract here, or the preventative maintenance, or the whatever. Those are the things that we're thinking about and trying to figure out how to do now. What are some of the, yeah. the next wave profit centers that you expect folks to be able to figure out? Um, I, I think I think when you when you get that visibility to to whatever whatever your business is, um, you know, you, outside of your you know your headquarters or your regional offices. Um, 
I think I think you can add value both from from what you're charging customers, you know, by being like you mentioned, proactive in the way of uh, of of maintenance, um, proactive in downtime and breakdowns, um, or literally to make business decisions whether to actually go there or not. A great a great example in the satellite world, and and we live this all the time, is is chemical tanks and liquid petroleum. Uh, um, gas. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, certainly, up here in Canada, it gets pretty cold in the winter. Um, there's a very yes. enormous, a very enormous part of the country that uh, does not have any natural gas pipelines. Um, you know, so there's a lot of people that that actually heat their home with propane. So they literally have uh, liquid propane tanks uh, at their facility. I had one myself and, when I uh, in northern Maine. <laughs> well, of course, right? I mean, you know, if there's nothing in the ground, you got to heat it somehow, and people cook their food with it. You know, the business decision to whether to send the delivery truck to fill your tank or not is a significant uh, uh, way to drive revenue in, in that business. You know, if you're not using what's in the tank, why would they pay to have a driver drive down the road with a truck and, and wages and all that sort of stuff to go fill a tank that's already full or that doesn't need to be full? So we're, so we're seeing a, a, a kind of a, 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 a switch from you know, real-time analytics to more exception-based analytics, if that makes sense to you. So, you know, to sure. to let you know when you need to do something rather than watching it happen in real time. Um, and we're seeing that both in the in the propane business, in the fuel delivery business. I'm seeing that in the uh, in the chemical delivery business in the oil and gas market, and I'm seeing some of that in the. Uh, you know, in the remote monitoring of you know of, of facilities and uh, you know buildings and things like that, you know, we only want to hear from it when it when something needs to be done. You know, high level, low level of water, high pressure, low pressure of of oil. Um, yeah. Be able to make decisions based on a on an exception report rather than you know watching in real time. So I'm seeing that take off, and, it, and it's really where we shine in the marketplace because, you know, our equipment is, in the general sense of things, it's it, it's extremely power-friendly. Um, you know, we are battery-operated. We live in the battery-operated world. We, we don't – we rarely plug into the wall anywhere because we're beyond plugs. Um, so, I mean, our equipment is extremely power-efficient. Uh, you know, and a great example of that is our latest product, which is the, the, the Smart One Solar which uh, which not only is battery operated but it recharges with the power of the sun, you know, and we're looking ten plus years field life, right. uh, field battery life out of out of a, a product like that. So it's literally out in the field, and, and and you could you know rely on that data coming back to to you for for whatever whatever purposes, you know, for ten plus years. Right. Neither here nor there. But how are the uh, the Efficiencies on the solar stuff lately. I'm sure you're keeping an eye on that. I know that they've been getting better. It's it's, it's remarkable how uh, how small the solar panels are um, these days. Um, the uh, you know there there is some challenges in the solar world, of course. Uh, you know with uh, with tariffs because they're coming coming from China, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so there there's some additional costs to solar, but the the uh, the trade off is, of course, you know they're so efficient nowadays that you know the footprint that you used to require before to power a, you know, a simple product used to be enormous, and uh, you know, and it was either you know an eyesore, um, or it was you know just too too large to be practical. 
Right. Um, I mean, the uh, the, so, the the Smart One Solar solar panel is about uh, you know four inches by three inches, something like that. You know, it's a little tiny thing, and and, and just charges the battery, it's, and it's embedded inside in the device itself, so it's protected from the elements. Um, so it's really amazing what they can do, and and you. I would encourage the listeners as they're driving around all over the place, and, and I do this all the time because I kind of live in this world, you know, you'll see all kinds of things that have got little solar panels on them nowadays, mm-hmm. you know, oh, stop sure. signs, flashing lights, all kinds of stuff. Everywhere you go, you're like, oh, yeah, that's solar. Because the actual cost of solar now has come down to the point that it, it rivals putting wire in the ground to, uh, from, a, from a cost perspective, yeah. and that's all the way down to the, the, to the streetlight level. Yeah. Um, you're going to see. You're going to see in the future, the very near future, you're going to see connected lights um, powered through the Global Star Network that are all solar powered. That there is no grid connected to those street lights, and they operate independently. You independently say very near future. From, you want to give us some insight? Some you can you, uh, can sure, you give well, us some specifics there? Sure. I mean, I've got I've got a partner who uh, who was the partner who. Uh, who were instrumental in, in helping us design the Smart One Solar, a company called Carmana um, out of Victoria, B.C., British Columbia, who have a number of deployments, particularly down in, in California, um, where green energy is a, is a, is a very popular, popular you know, mm-hmm. statement down there. I know of a, and, a couple uh, of cities in, in California doing some great leadership, uh, San Francisco yeah, being Yeah, so, one. I mean, they've... They have integrated the Global Star, uh, the Global Star technology into their solar-powered uh, streetlights um, that are being deployed in in California right now. Mm-hmm. So they have connectivity through the Global Star network to view battery health and solar power efficiency, um, and 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 you know light on, light off because in 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 many cases lighting is sold as a service, and the service is is charged by uptime, meaning when the light is on. Um, if the light isn't working or the light is burned out, um, again, talking about those exception things that I was talking about before, that you know, monitoring is not to is not to watch all the time, but it's to be getting those those exception reportings, which allow you to make the business decisions to maximize your uptime. You know, if you need to send a service guy out, you only send a service guy out when it's necessary. And you have that connectivity and the visibility to to that particular asset in the field. Um, to uh, shift gears a little bit uh, as we continue our sort of strategy discussion here, uh, I'm going to press you to talk a little bit about the other side of the coin. Um, obviously, no solution is is all benefits. So, um, if, if uh, you know the listeners out there are considering satellite connectivity, you know, for all its benefits and uh, that we've been discussing, what are some of the the challenges or, or drawbacks that they should be considering, or at the very least, things that they should be planning to adjust for if they're, uh, they're going to consider it? Well, sure. It's, it's, it's a very well-known fact in, in the industry uh, that, that, of course, a satellite needs to have a view of the sky, and it needs to have a relatively unobstructed view of the sky for anything to work. Um, both from a satellite transmission perspective, um, if your product or your solution has a GPS receiver in it, you need to be able to see the sky to get a good GPS fix. Yep. Um, in the case of, of anything that's solar powered, you need to make sure that you know you you get sufficient sunlight. 
There are many parts of the world that don't get enough sunlight to operate anything that, that draws any sort of significant current, mm-hmm. uh, particularly in the northern northern parts of the of the world. <laughs> um, and and you know, it's, satellite itself is is limited from a from a technology perspective. You know, it, it, it doesn't progress as rapidly as as things can on the ground. Right. And and purely that's an access thing. You know, well, what's yeah. what's a sexy a sexy data speed in satellite is is not seen very very in the same light with uh, with, with comparing to a terrestrial solution. So what you're saying you know, because is because they can so they can get saying, access to it. So. <laughs> so it seems like what you're saying in short here is that uh, I can't send a signal to space and back as fast as I can text somebody who's three miles away. That seems exactly totally exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Again, it's that expectation, right? So I mean, that's that's part of the discussion that we have with with anybody thinking of 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 some kind of satellite connected solution. Mm-hmm. You know, one one we uh, we don't live in the gigabyte world right. in satellite. We live in the megabyte Yet. world. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, you've always got to, you've always got to deal with that sort of thing, uh, in, in our business. Although I would expect that, especially as more and more, uh, uh, companies are considering edge type computing and, and, uh, uh, data transfers to adjust for things like latency in smaller chunks more frequently, that some of that is, is surmountable. All of it's probably surmountable in terms of, the, the data rates, you know, uh, uh, volume rates, because, you know, you're sending raw data, maybe a lot of it, but not in big, giant chunks, I would assume, most of the mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah, there's a lot of exception reporting that goes on, yeah. you know, even even in a fiber world, right, where, where you've got a giant pipe and you, you've got everything everything you possibly could need from a bandwidth perspective. You still have to manage that that data. You still have to do something with it, sure. and it and it can become actually quite a daunting task at the head end, wherever you're collecting all of this data. What to do with it all? You know, big big data. You know, is going to continue to be a uh, you know a challenge. You know, what do you do? Where do you store it? You know, how do you protect it? Um, you know, yeah. Particularly yeah. in, in different parts of the world, you know, we've got right now we're we're, we're going through it internally, and, and I'm sure anyone else who does any business in the European Union is the uh, the GDPR, which is the the global data privacy regulations. Right. Um, you know that that you have to lock down all of that sort of stuff, and the more data you're receiving from from a bandwidth perspective, the more difficult it becomes to manage. Um, so you know, there's there's two sides to the coin, right? It's great to get everything, and you know, I want everything right away. But then you got to do something with it. You know, you got to build a bigger house, yeah. so to speak, to keep it all, and put bigger locks on the door. So. Sure. And in the in the the underground world, you know, there's obviously a lot of uh, a lot of mining and and things like that that happen, and they need to to monitoring. Is are relays of of signal things that you can get to a base station for transmission and, and things like that? Is, are those the solutions that are in use, or is that not really what you guys want? Well, we, we, uh, we, we're, we're starting to go on into sort of the, you know, a multi-transmitter type application now, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what we describe in our world, mm-hmm. where we use, we use complementary technology, either it be Bluetooth or Zigbee, um, or some of the lower SigFox, some of the licenseless stuff. Yep. 
to bring the signal back to a central point and use that central point kind of as a collector and to use a single point, you know, either a, a pipe through through Global Star or, or some other connectivity if it's available. Um, you know, so that there is a lot of data aggregation so that you're not, you don't have 20 or 30 or 50 subscriptions out in the field. You've got one subscription, you're buying one, one data point, yep. and you're using some of the licenseless technologies that are out there to, uh, you know, to get your data from point A to point B locally, um, and then using, using that satellite connectivity to get it back when you're in the middle of nowhere. Sure. Um, uh, I just wanted to, to touch on sort of the security and privacy issues since you, you mentioned GDPR. Sure. Obviously, in the U.S., we've got uh, uh, some regulations that uh, may or may not be in the works. A whole other question. But uh, around the world, yeah. you know, folks are <laughs> thinking about those things. Um, the... Uh, I, yeah, I don't, I'm know, I don't not, know why they'd be thinking. I don't know why they'd be thinking about that stuff. I guess they should stop watching CNN or something like that, right? No, so I, from, I see it there. <laughs> it's crazy. From what I've heard recently, <laughs> there's literally nothing to worry about anywhere. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, what are some of the the security issues that you that you deal with in, in satellite, and and it's certainly an area that I know the least about when it comes to security. So I'm, I'm curious about that. Um, so, so we kind of have three core businesses in in the world. Uh, you know, we, we have our, our telephony business, which is uh, you know, the standard telephone set. We have our on our simplex data, so our one-way and two-way data business. Mm-hmm. Um, on the on the data side of things, I'm most familiar with with how we handle security at, at Global Star. Um, you know, we we certainly own of all, all of our equipment and control all of our equipment. All of our satellites in the sky are owned by Global Star. They're launched by Global Star. Yeah. Uh, all the signals are are relayed through 27 ground stations, which are owned by Global Star. Um, and all of those stations are all connected by what we refer to as the Global Star data network. So it's a private network. So we don't actually see the outside world um, from a connectivity perspective with our network itself. Gotcha. Um, we like we only get out to. Well, yes, it is an advantage, and the only time we get to the outside world is is you know through a through a a local ISP if somebody wants to send packet data to an outside IP address out outside our secure network. Mm-hmm. Um, but we we also have the ability and, and have done it numerous times before for for particularly high security customers. Um, you know, we allow VPN tunnels to come from from their locate lo- their location to our location, so that it literally is an end to end protected system. Right, but that's that's uh, more of a, a case by case thing that you have to specifically very much engineer so. for. Very that. much so. Yeah. Yep. Um, um, but in, is, a, in a general okay. sense, in yeah. a general sense, on, on when you're talking about our packet data and our small simplex data, um, we're very infrequent transmissions. Um, we use uh, you know random algorithms and random timing, so it's it's one of those things that uh, that you know to be able to intercept something is uh, is that much more difficult because you don't know it's not transmitting all the time, and the data itself is 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 uh, is raw hexadecimal data in most cases, where you have to be able to know the key to decode it. Right. So the over-the-air stuff is is relatively secure. Um, you know, you always got to say relatively because, you know, people that want to do harm are usually one step ahead of all security that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and just in general, you know, it's, it's, 
it's as controlled as it can be. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, that's always always the case with security. It's that that constant sort of uh, uh, thrust and repost uh, fencing. Yeah, match. it's an evolution. It's yeah. it's a it's an animal on itself, right? It's something that that's a living, breathing thing that that we live every day. Sure. Um, and you know, every connectivity protocol deals with it. You know, mm-hmm. every time. Every time the the cellular guys figure out a new fix, somebody else releases a new truck sized interceptor that you could park somewhere. That's right. You know, it's it's just it uh, it's it's never a thing that's going to be solved, with one uh, science fictiony uh, exception. I I love to imagine that this is going to be something that AI is eventually going to get very very good at, uh, mm-hmm. randomizing uh, connectivity and and data protocols to such a degree and with such speed and consistency that a human opponent just would never be able to react fast enough to keep up. So it would be a, a, a this weird constantly modulating security protocol with endless random strings of keys so that there's uh, there's no way to, to... You could access it if you knew the key, but the key changes so fast that you'd never know it. And uh, uh, I haven't ever seen anybody do that, because I assume they know better than I do uh, why you don't do that, but <laughs> that's my that's my science fiction imagination of, of eventual security uh, security being uh, a non-issue. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. Um, so as we as we reach the end of uh, the end of our our time here, I uh, want to give you the floor, Marty. And and is there something that we haven't talked about yet that? Uh, my listeners should really know as they plan connectivity strategy and, and consider satellite and consider what uh, what they need to know moving forward that we haven't discussed yet. Well, I, th- I think in general, you know, people just have to consider satellite as, as you know, don't don't believe everything you hear. It's not the same as it used to be. Um, you know, things are much smaller now. Um, there is no 18-foot dish required on your property to make it work. Um, you know, and, and we, we are, we're in the market to be complementary to other technologies. Um, there is no one single technology that will do all of, all of the different, uh, connectivity requirements out there. We recognize that. Um, and, uh, and, and just the, the compact nature and, and the maintenance free, um, side of our business, the fact that we live in the middle of nowhere. So we build devices to survive in the middle of nowhere, um, you know that 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 we're really we're really a, not not a, a solution that, that that used to be in the past. You know it's cost effective. Um, you know we are our own network and our own carrier, um, and uh, you know it's something that that every organization you know whether they live in the in the terrestrial world most of the time, um, anybody that's driven anywhere uh, throughout North America knows that uh, you can be right smack dab in the middle of somewhere and still have a connectivity challenge. Um, you know, and that's really where, where satellite technology shines. You know, we're already there. We cover that area already. And, and that's why people should consider satellite as yeah. complementary to their, uh, to their other connectivity solutions. Yeah, that, uh, that makes a lot of sense. Where can folks, uh, visit, uh, uh, Global Star out in the worldwide interwebs and, and find out more about you, Marty? 
Sure. So www.globalstar.com is our is our uh, primary site. There's a bunch of sister sites, regional sites for uh, for different countries. We have offices all over the world. Speak uh, many different languages. Um, I'm located out of the Canadian office. Um, I can be uh, I can be reached through uh, through the globalstar.ca website. Mm-hmm. Um, just look for the for the the value added reseller partner. Become a partner. Uh, my contact information is all on there. Um, and yeah, I, I'd be pleased to talk to anybody. Sounds great. Uh, folks, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real World IoT powered by 151 Advisors. Um, if you've enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to uh, hit that subscribe button. Uh, we're, uh, we would hate for you to miss any uh, any episodes as we uh, as we broadcast every week. Uh, Marty Jefferson of Global Star, thank you so much for being my guest today. It's been a real pleasure to have you. Thanks, Ken. It's been a pleasure to be on. Thank you. Well, folks, thank you for listening to this episode of Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. Make sure you go online to check out more content on how you can monetize the connected world at 151advisors.com. That's 151advisors.com for all the information and content like this podcast that will help you power your business and monetize your business into the next phase of the IoT. Thank you again for listening to Real World IoT, powered by 151 Advisors. I am your host, Ken Briota, signing off. See you next time.